0: This is The Political Scene, and I'm David Remnick. Every technological revolution has frightened people, particularly people who've got something to lose. When Gutenberg began printing with movable type, religious and political authorities wondered how to confront a population that had new access to information and arguments to challenge their authority. So it's not surprising that artificial intelligence is now causing grave concerns because it will affect every one of us. Perhaps the biggest nightmare is the looming new industrial revolution, the displacement of millions of workers, the loss of huge numbers of jobs. Congress has a choice now. We had the same choice when we faced social media. We failed to seize that moment. What is surprising is that some of the very same people who have been racing to develop AI now seem deeply alarmed at how far they've come. In March, not long after ChatGPT began captivating and terrifying us all at once, over a thousand technology experts signed an open letter calling for a six-month moratorium on certain AI research. And some of those experts say that unchecked AI could be as dangerous to our collective future as nuclear weaponry or pandemics. So we're going to talk today about AI. How could it change the world? And how concerned should we be? I'll start with Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI, the company that's been releasing ever more sophisticated versions of chat GPT. Years ago when the internet was in its earliest stages, we were surrounded, or at least I felt surrounded, by a sense of internet euphoria. And anyone who raised doubts about it was considered a Luddite or ignorant or a charmingly <laughs> fearful person past no. his sell-by date. Now with the rise of AI, we're hearing alarm from many quarters. So what I want to try to accomplish here is to have a rational discussion that at once gives a factual picture of where we are, where you think we're going, and at the same time, airs out the concerns. So let's just start with the most basic thing. You've been working on AI for nearly a decade. How did you get into it, and what were your expectations?
1: I I mean, this was what I wanted to work on uh, from when I was like a little kid. I was like a very nerdy kid. I was very into sci-fi. I sort of never dreamed I'd actually get to work on it, but then I went to school and studied AI. Um, and one of the memorable things I was told was the only surefire way to have a bad career in AI is to work on neural networks. And we have all these other ideas, but this is the one that we've proven doesn't work. In 2012, uh, there was a paper put out. One of the authors was my co-founder, Elias Sutskever, which was a neural network doing an amazing thing that performed extremely well in a competition to categorize images. And... That was amazing to me, given that I had sort of assumed this thing wasn't going to work. After that, uh, a company called DeepMind did something with uh, beating the world champion at Go. Mm -hmm. Uh, At the end of 2015, we started OpenAI. One of our first big projects was playing this computer game called Dota 2. And I got to watch that neural network, that effort, that system sort of grow up. Number one, we truly, genuinely know tricks had an algorithm that could learn and it got better with scale it took us a while to discover this current paradigm of these large language models but the fundamental insight and the fundamental algorithms were were all right from the beginning
0: of of the company so gpt suddenly appeared on the scene and you have talked a lot about its potential and at the same time you've well let's put it this way you freaked a lot of people out What do you see as its potential, and do you understand why people are unnerved about it? First of all, even
1: the parts that I don't agree with about what people are freaked out about, I empathize with. To the degree we are successfully able to create a computer that can one day learn and perform new tasks like a human, even if you don't believe in any of the sci-fi stories, you could still be freaked out about the level of change that this is going to bring society and the compressed time frame in which that's going to happen.
0: Well, let's, well, let's slow down for a second. What does this imply in the much broader sense about what change is coming down the road? In, in concrete terms.
1: I think it means that we all are going to have much more powerful tools that significantly increase what a person is capable of doing, but also raise the bar on what a person needs to do to be sort of a productive member of society and contribute. Because these tools will do eventually, they will augment us so powerfully that they'll change what one person or one small group of people can and do do.
0: A lot of writers I know have naturally um, gotten very interested in ChatGPT GPT, and they somehow think it's going to eliminate them um, I, I I have to admit i I've used your latest version of Chat GPT to try and emulate my writing, and without being overproud about it 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 kind of didn't what 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 came out was like um an encyclopedia entry with nouns that were subjects that I was interested in. So tell me <laughs> so tell me where where this where ChatGPT is in its development now but should I um should I basically pack it in in a couple of weeks when when ChatGPT is all the better?
1: We we get excited about where things are, but we also try always to talk about the limitations and where things aren't. And maybe a future version of GPT will replace bad writers. But it's very hard for me, looking at it now, uh, every time I talk to someone like you, they say, this is,
0: you know, this is really not it. (laughs) Yeah. And you think we're being defensive. uh,
1: No, no, no. I think you're right. I think in the sweep of emotion about ChatGPT and this new world, it is so easy to say the writing is on the wall. There's going to be no role for humans. This thing is going to take over. And I don't think that's going to be right. I don't think we are facing this, you know, total destruction of all human jobs in the very short term. And I think it's it's difficult and important to balance that with the fact that some jobs are going to be totally replaced by this in the very short term.
0: What what jobs will, what jobs do you think will get eliminated pre- pretty quickly in your view? I think a
1: lot of customer service jobs, a lot of data entry jobs, get eliminated pretty quickly. So this is maybe useful. The, the thing that you do right now where, like, you go on some website and you're trying to return something and you, like, chat with somebody that's sitting on the other side of a chatbot and they, you know, send you a label and blah, right. blah, blah, that job, I think, gets eliminated. Also, the one where you call and, you know, talk to someone, that takes a lot longer. But I think that job gets eliminated, too. But I don't think that most people won't work. I think for a bunch of reasons, that would be unfulfilling to a lot of people some people won't work for sure i think there are people in the world who don't want to work and get fulfillment in other ways and that shouldn't be stigmatized either um but i think many people let's say want to create want to do something that makes them feel useful want to somehow like contribute back to society and there will be new jobs or things that people think of as jobs that we today wouldn't think of as jobs in the same way Hmm. that Maybe what you do or what I do wouldn't have seemed like a job to somebody that was like doing an actual hard physical job to survive. As the world gets richer and as we make technological progress, um, standards change and what we consider work and necessity and a whole bunch of other things change too. So I think that's going to happen again with AI.
0: I realize that some of this draws on your essay that was published a couple of years ago, Moore's Law for Everything. You suggest economic policies like a universal basic income, um, taxes on land and capital rather than on property and labor. And all of those things have proven impossibly difficult to pass, even in the most modified form. How would they become popular in the future?
1: I think this stuff is really difficult, but... A, that doesn't mean we shouldn't try and the way things that are outside the Overton window eventually happen is more and more people talking about them over time. And B, when the ground is shaking, I think is when you can make radical policy progress. So I agree with you. Today, we still can't do this. But if AI stays on the trajectory that it might, you know, perhaps in a few years, these don't seem so radical. And we have like, massive GDP growth at a time where we have a lot of turmoil in the job market, maybe all this stuff is possible. And and the more time upfront we have for people to be studying ideas like this and contributing new ones, I think the better. I believe we have a real opportunity to shape that if you take something a good that has been super expensive and limited and important and make that easy to access and extremely cheap, that I believe that is mostly an equalizing force in the world, and we're seeing that with ChatGPT. One of the things that we tried to design into this, and I think is an exciting part of this particular technological revolution, is anyone can use it. You know, kids can use it, old people can use it, people that don't have familiarity with technology can use it. You can have a very like you know cheap, cheap mobile device that doesn't have much power and still get as much benefit out of this as someone with the best computing system in the world. My dream is that we figure out a way to let the governance of these systems, the benefits they generate, and the access to them be equally spread across every person on Earth.
0: This is the New Yorker Radio Hour, and I'm talking today with Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI, which developed ChatGPT and GPT-4. Sam, talk to me about artificial general intelligence, which seems to be a step even past what we've been talking about.
1: I think it's a very blurry line. I think artificial general intelligence means to people like very powerful artificial intelligence. It's it's sort of shorthand for that. My personal definition is systems that can really dramatically impact the rate that humans make scientific progress or that society makes scientific progress. Uh, Other people use a definition like systems that can do half of the current economically valuable human work. Others use a system that can learn new things on its own
0: that that latter but, that but, latter point is 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 the thing that creates anxiety, isn't it? that it's a system that can operate beyond the bounds of human influence?
1: Well, there's two versions of that. There's one that causes a lot of anxiety even to me, and there's one that doesn't. Um, the one that doesn't, and the one that I think is going to happen is not where an AI is off writing its own code and changing its architecture and things like that, right But that if you ask an AI, a question that it doesn't know the answer to, it can go do what a human would do. Say, hey, I don't know that. I'm going to go read books. I'm going to go call smart people. Um, I'm going to go have some conversations. I'm going to think harder. And now I'm going to have some new knowledge stored in my neural network. And that feels fine to me. Definitely the one where it's off like writing its own code and changing its architecture. Very scary to me.
0: AI systems have already generated skills that its creators didn't expect or prepare for. Learning languages, it wasn't programmed to learn, figuring out how to code, for example. So the worry is that AI could break free from its human overseers and wreak havoc of one kind or another.
1: The fundamental place that I find myself getting tripped up in thinking about this and that I notice in others too is, you know, is this a tool or is this a creature? Mm-hmm. And I think it's so <laughs> That's fair to project creatureness onto this because it has language and because that feels so anthropomorphic but what this system is is a system that takes in some text does some complicated statistics on it and puts out some more text and amazing emergent behavior can happen from that as we've seen that can significantly influence a person's thinking and we need a lot of constraints on that um I don't believe we're on a path to build a creature here. Now, humans can really misuse the tool in very big ways. And I worry a lot about that, much more than I worry about currently the sci-fi-esque kind of stuff of this thing, you know, wakes up and loses control.
0: Sam, you've had quite a few conversations lately with lawmakers. You testified in front of a Senate subcommittee, and that was widely reported. But before that, you had a private meeting at the White House Tell me who was there and what was the conversation about.
1: It was a number of people from the administration, led by Vice President Harris, and then uh, the CEOs of four AI or tech and AI companies. And the conversation was about as we go th- head into this technological revolution, uh, what can the companies do to help ensure that it's a good change and help sort of reassure people that we're going to get the things right that we're able to get right and then we need to in the short term and then what can the government do what are the kinds of policy ideas that might make sense uh, as this technology develops one area in particular that i am worried about in the short term is provenance of generated content we've got an election next year um the already image generation is incredibly good um Audio generation is getting very good. Video generation will take a little bit longer, but will get good too. I'm confident that we as a society with enough time can adapt to that. You know, we, we've learned when Photoshop came out, people were really tricked for a little while and pretty quickly people learned to be skeptical of images and people would say, ah, oh, that's Photoshopped or that's doctored or whatever. Um, so I'm confident we can do it again, but we also have a different playing field now and right. there's sort of Twitter and these telegram groups and however else this stuff spreads. Uh, there's a lot of regulation that could work. And there's technical efforts like watermarking images or shipping detectors that could work in addition to just requiring people to disclose generated content. And then there's like education of the public about you, you've got you've to gotta watch out for this.
0: Ultimately, who do you think was the most powerful people in the room, the people on the government side or the people heading the tech companies?
1: That's an interesting question. I think the government certainly is more powerful here in even the medium term but the government does take a little bit longer to get things done and so i think it's important that the companies independently do the right thing in the short in the very short term
0: but you you understand that again years ago Tech and you know the cover of Wired and all. all, all, all there was a kind of euphoria to, uh, attached to technology that in the in it doesn't the feel past like it this time risk, around, does it? No, it doesn't feel that way at all. Uh, and not because I relish it, but you know the the public images of places like Facebook and Google are not what they were. And I think trust in those in those companies to get things. Uh, Right. So when we hear about a, a conversation at the White House between the vice president and her colleagues and the heads of tech companies, we want to intensely know what is going on, what the conversation is like and what it's leading toward, who's in charge. It would be really good to know the details of that. The
1: right answer here, very clearly, is for the government to be in charge and not just our government. I think this is one of these places where and I, I realize how naive this sounds and how difficult it's going to be we need international cooperation uh, the example that i've been using recently is i think we will need something like the iaea uh, that we had for nuclear for this and who's going controls, to yeah, a,
0: a, atomic weapons obviously and, and, and atomic energy
1: and i think that's so difficult to do it requires international cooperation between superpowers that don't get along so well right now um, But that's what I think the right long-term solution is, given how powerful this technology can grow. I'm actually optimistic that it's technically possible to do. I think the way this technology works, the number of GPUs that are required, the small number of people that can make them and the controls that could be imposed on them to say nothing of the energy requirements for Mm -hmm. these systems. it It is possible to internationally regulate this, So I think the government has got to lead the way here. I think we need serious regulation from the government setting the rules. I think it's good for the tech companies to provide input, say where we think the technology is going, what might work technically and what won't. But the government and really the people of the world have got to decide.
0: Sam Altman, thank you very much. Thank you. Sam Altman is the CEO of OpenAI which created ChatGPT.